Welcome to the Youth Ministry Partners Podcast, encouraging leaders, sharing insights. We interview youth ministry experts in the field to reveal the tips and advice you need to succeed as a youth leader in today's ministry landscape. Visit youthministrypartners.com for detailed show notes and more information. And now your host, Ben Howard. Welcome to the Youth Ministry Partners Podcast. I am your host, Ben Howard. Today, I am joined on the phone by Jen Bradbury. Uh, Jen is, I'm going to give like the proper introduction. Jen is the Director of Youth Ministry at Faith Lutheran Church in Glen Ellen, Illinois. But more importantly for our um, conversation today, she is our friend and the author of A Mission That Matters, How to Do Short-Term Missions Without Long-Term Harm. Welcome to the show again, Jen. Thanks, Ben. It's a privilege to be here. I'm excited to talk with you guys today. I think you're our first two-time guest. I think. Wow. I'm not sure that we've had it. <laughs> no, we had we had Andrew Zersky twice before. So uh, I'm sorry. You're our second two-time guest, which is wow. I'm going to say more <laughs> prestigious. Um, <laughs> so let's kind of dive into what we're talking about. We're going to talk about mission work today. We're going to talk about short-term missions. Um, we're going to kind of like. We're going to like talk like side talk short term missions like we're just going to kind of look at it with side eye and be like what's going on with you. Um so to start what are we talking about when we talk about short term missions? Like what what are we what are we describing with that phrase? Yeah, that's actually a great question then. So when we talk about short term mission Historically, that has meant something different than it does now. So historically, when people have talked about short-term missions, it's meant that you are going on a missions experience that is less than two to three years. Now, when we talk about short-term mission trips, we're really referring to a one to two-week experience, usually made for either junior high or for high schoolers. Um, again, historically, it was much more of an adult experience, and it was designed to really try to entice people into long-term missions work elsewhere. Uh, now, because the, the target audience, if you will, has changed to kids, to teenagers, uh, we think of a lot of short-term missions experiences as being domestic opportunities. Some are still international, uh, but again, a much shorter uh, time frame. And it's actually much more about the kids, the teenagers who go, than it is about the place or the community that you're going to. When does when does that shift occur? When does it go from being short term missions are these kind of like maybe six months to a year or um, even like three to six months with adults to the thing you do over, you know, spring break or the thing you do over summer (laughs) vacation? Yeah, so we started to actually see that shift in about the 1960s, and that was really fueled by campus organizations, so by college organizations. Um, And then another shift happened in the 90s. So basically when I was a teenager, that was the time period at which it seemed like every church was doing a mission trip of some sort. Um, So it's been a slow or a rapid process, depending on how you look at it. Um, but today, you know, we definitely think of it as it's it's got to fit within the window of a vacation time. Uh, and so, you know, usually we associate them with summers because we're dealing with teenagers. 
Uh, but we also tend to be sensitive to adults and to their work schedules. And so usually that's a two-week vacation window or less mm-hmm. uh, that those need in. So this, I mean, this automatically leads to the question. When, it, when You said, you know, earlier when these were like, you know, three to six months, six months to a year, it was to entice adults into maybe seeking longer-term missions. It was almost like a trial period. What's... Mm-hmm. How does that purpose shift as it as it becomes more focused on one to one to two weeks, college students and um, and and teenagers? Because like they're not doing the same jobs, you would imagine. So how does the purpose <laughs> and and kind of the the intention of the trip shift over that time period? Yeah. So the intention really shifts for being about. Um, living out the Great Commission, if you will, when we first started short-term missions and did them longer. So it was about going and making disciples. Um, it was about testing it out, seeing if you wanted to do missions work. Now it's much more about becoming the disciple yourself. So I would say the primary objective of most short-term mission trips today is the youth who go um, and even the adult leaders who go. And so it's really about their own faith formation. Now, the problem with that is that we don't often advertise it that way, right? We still advertise mission trips as being about let's go and let's do some good work, do some justice work, let's change the community, let's bring God to that community, um, when in reality the people who benefit most from short-term mission trips are us. So that that leaves open a fairly glaring hole, which is <laughs> – what problem does that create about the fact that we're doing short-term missions in that way? Like, I, you have this group that's saying we're going to go do these good things, and that's kind of their the presenting intention of going on short-term missions is we're going to go build houses, or we're going to go feed people, or we're going to go do whatever. Um, but what you're what we're saying is this is really about faith formation. This is about discipleship. This is about kind of faith development. In between those mixed messages, yeah. what problems are arising? So, I mean, there's a ton of problems that are arising. <laughs> Let's start with uh, the one... <laughs> top three. Uh. All right. So uh, one of the big ones is just certainly the justice piece of that. And so when I say that, what I mean is, are we doing more harm than good when we go into a community Uh, as a short-termer who's really focused on our own transformational growth. And that's where you see the rise of books like um, Helping Hurts and Toxic Charity uh, and those kind of things that have looked into this phenomena of what is the actual impact that we're having on the communities. Is it what we think it is? Are we actually damaging it? Um, Another issue is that as more and more people have gone on mission trips, I mean, this has become a global industry, right? So there are people, and I don't mean this to sound as awful as it's probably going to come off, but there are organizations that are making money doing this, right? And so as a piece of that, you also tend to lose sight of the community that you're serving. Uh, And so things like partnerships aren't always actually in place. We partner with the mission trip organization that we go with, but we sort of, as youth workers, tend to leave it up to them to do the actual partnership work with the communities. Uh, And so that may or may not actually be as strong as it once was. 
Uh, and then I think another another problem, perhaps, and this one is less of a problem for me, but I think it still shows up, is this idea of it's no longer really about getting people to the mission field. Um, so we would view short-term missions as much more a success now if someone comes back home and they simply have had an encounter with God. And so because of that, and here's where the real problem for me comes in, uh, the impact of short-term mission trips is never as long as we actually hope it is, uh, even in our own students who are the people who are benefiting most from them. So let's take those one at a time. Tell me a little bit more about some of the justice. We, I mean, I've, I've heard of When Helping Hurts. I think I've read it in grad school. Um, what are some of the what are some of the things that we do on short term missions that can actually have unintended consequences, unintended negative consequences for the communities that people are going to ostensibly help? Yeah, so I think for me, the two biggest elements um, are jobs and leadership development. And I think short term mission trips, when they are not done well, have the potential to actually rob the indigenous communities that we're going to, whether it's a domestic trip or international trip, um, of those two things. So we go and we build a house. And in the process of that, we are actually taking jobs away from the people whose job it is to actually build the house. Um, so we're doing it with less skill and uh, less well, conceivably, um, because, again, it's about us. It's not actually about them. And at the same time, we tend to, and again, this is the extreme negative stereotype, uh, yeah. but we tend to go into these communities thinking that we are the saviors and that we are bringing God to them. And as a result, what ends up happening is that we see ourselves as the ones with all the information. So we put ourselves on a pedestal um, and we go in and we do what needs to be due, whether that's building a house, whether that's running a vacation Bible school, whether that's leading a workshop, um, whether that's serving in some other way with homeless folks, whatever the case may be, like we are convinced we know how to do that. And what that ends up doing is it robs people of the chance to develop leaders within that community. Um, so, you know, we're not teaching someone in rural West Virginia how to do those things themselves. Instead, we're going in and doing it. And so that fosters dependency over the long haul. Uh, rather than independence and the ability to really sort of dig yourself out of the situation that you're in. I, I am struck as as you're saying that, like, I, I don't know if I had thought about this in these terms before. Um, when you talk about taking jobs away from the indigenous community, I'm struck by the irony that we are sending people from affluent communities in the United States to less affluent communities in developing countries and taking away jobs by giving them uh, cheap labor, um, which is a bit yep. ironic, um, considering some of our own conversations about immigration in the United States, um, that we would be doing oh, that. Absolutely. <laughs> um, one of the other things I wanted to talk about is the term, this comes up some, so often, every once in a while, and I feel like it's the thing that hit me the hardest when I was in college and when i was going on some of these over these kind of these kind of uh, mission trips over like spring break i think i went to honduras a few times and i remember one of the times feeling very mm. conflicted by 
hmm. the kind of conversation that you would have when you came back where everyone would talk about <laughs> with like exaggerated statements about how poor it was and how they've hmm. never seen that kind of poverty. Um, I, I've heard the phrase poverty tourism thrown around about that before. What can you say about what poverty tourism is? Yeah, so poverty tourism is this idea that we go into a community um, as tourists. So, for example, um, when we go into, let's say, Kenya, uh, as an example of this, uh, there's a huge slum in Kenya called Kibera. And one of the things that you can do is you can actually get a tour of Kibera. Uh, And on the surface, that might sound really good for a youth pastor, right? You want to go and you want to learn, you want to see poverty. So you need to be able to expose your kids to to poverty at its worst, to the slums. So what better opportunity to do that than to actually go to Kibera? The problem is that when you enter a space as a tourist, um, you see it very differently. And so things like uh, you go in and you see, snap pictures of the people in the slums, maybe in the same way that you would snap pictures of an animal, uh, snap pictures of an animal on safari. Uh, And so in the process, you are objectifying people because you're not actually getting to know their stories. Uh, You're just entering it in. You're entering in on sort of a surface level on this idea that you're cruising through in an hour or so, um, sometimes longer than that. uh, And you're getting pictures for your photo album for your benefit Um, and you might have even you might think it's okay because maybe you're paying a guide to do that Uh, but there's this question of do I actually understand the stories am I actually entering into someone else's story or am I just observing it from close yes but from far enough away that I can sort of put my own projections on top of that And so that's when I think a lot of times you have those sort of um, the takeaways from that that you hear from kids are, oh, my gosh, those people, they live in such horrible conditions, but they seem so happy. Or um, you might even hear people say, like, they're so creative. They're doing so much with so little. Uh, And, like, those things might seem true to us, right? But then if you take one step deeper and you get a little bit closer you might actually start to hear from someone who lives in the slums about the difficulty and about the crime uh, and about uh, the way that that life can rob them of their dignity. Uh, And so it's a very narrow, it's a very, it tends to reinforce stereotypes rather than break stereotypes down. So, so far we've really focused on kind of these problems, kind of critiquing um, the way short-term missions are done what are some of the like, philosophical shifts and some of the things that we can do to alleviate some of those problems, especially those kind of justice-focused problems? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, mission trips are something that I believe in. Like, I wholeheartedly think that they can be a time uh, that is transformational. And when done well... Uh, I think that there are elements of transformation for the host community as well. But like you said, it takes some philosophical shifts to get there. So some of the things that I think are really important, uh, one is just when you pick a mission trip, I think part of what creates the poverty tourism 
is this idea of we as affluent Americans can sit down and can kind of look and be like, where do we want to go this summer on our mission trip? Uh, and that can lead to all sorts of crazy ideas, right? But when your starting point is where do we want to go, it immediately puts the focus on you, right? It's about your needs, your desires, your wants, and how to fulfill them. Whereas if you start with a different question, um, and the question I think is important to start with is, what is our home congregation already doing in our community? And how can we actually tie that into the work that we want to do on a mission trip or the type of mission trip that we want to do? And I think when you start with that place and that perspective, and it becomes about linking what's happening somewhere else to what is already going on in your home community, you have a much richer beginning point. You have a much more solid foundation. You have a much easier way of plugging students into ongoing service uh, once they get back that are similar to what you did on the mission trip, which is a way that you can take the short-term impact and actually change it into a long-term impact. I think another element is preparation is really important. Uh, and so actually preparing your team. Uh, and so doing some spiritual preparation, yes, but a big part of that is cross-cultural preparation. And so recognizing that even if you are going to Appalachia or to a Native American reservation within the U.S., uh, that unless you are from that region to begin with, it is a cross-cultural trip for you. Uh, and the same is true when you go abroad, of course. You are crossing cultures. And any time you cross cultures, you need to actually understand how to do that well, how to do that in a way that dignifies the people that are hosting you, that dignifies the people that you are serving. Um, and a part of that is to also look for opportunities that still, uh, that instill that idea of partnership back into missions. Uh, and so maybe that is just choosing your host organization well so that you make sure that they really are doing good work. So for example, this past summer, uh, we took a trip to Haiti. And in that trip, the paradigm of the organization that we went with was that they actually hired Haitians to actually be the foreperson, uh, to be the skilled laborers at our construction site. And we really were just the grunt work. And so part of what our funds did then was actually paid for those Haitians for the week of their labor. Um, in our case, we didn't actually finish the job. So our funds continued to pay for those Haitians to continue to actually build this house well after we left. It paid for the supplies. Um, so that's one type of partnership. I think another partnership is to connect more church to church or more individual to individual. Uh, so for us, another partnership that we have cultivated is a long-term partnership with a host missionary in Rwanda. Uh, and so because it's a long-term partnership, that has enabled us to really get to know this family, to get to know their hearts, uh, to be able to ask them questions like, how can we actually serve you? You know, it's not just about what we want to do but it's about what, what would actually be helpful, what would not be draining for you guys. Um, I think being able to, with kids, to talk through the idea of cameras ahead of time, too, <laughs> is actually a huge, a huge thing. Um, so that 
I don't want to say cameras are the root of all evil because they're not, <laughs> um, but cameras contribute. They contribute a lot to this idea of poverty tourism. Uh, cameras give kids a way to hide. First of all, like you can hide behind a camera lens and not actually interact with anyone. Uh, but the other thing that it does is it's just way too easy to st- to snap pictures that degrade people. Um, and so I think if you actually prepare your team for when is it appropriate for us to use our cameras um, and how do we do it in an appropriate way? So talking through things like asking p- people if you can take pictures of them before you actually take their picture um, of not taking your camera out right away and instead getting to know the people in the community so that eventually when you do take pictures, you're taking pictures that illustrate relationships that are about you with a group of people as opposed to here's the before and after of the work that we did. Um, it makes people far less likely to be kind of props in your summer story with you as the hero and them as the people that you've come to save. So, so those are a, a few of the, the yeah. things. A, a lot of that, so that's all that's all really good. And I have some questions about some of it, but a lot of that seems to be that's how we alleviate the exploitation. Uh-huh. Is there a way to alleviate the or or change or take the edge off of the way that these mission trips are really about faith formation for the people who are going on them? Or is that something that it's better for us to just lean into? that and be honest about like the reason you go on these mission trips is not about the work that you're doing it's about you um where what's the what's the kind of balance with that do you do you try and take the edge off of that or do you just try and say like no we're actually going to be honest about why we're doing mission trips (laughs) so i think it's a both and actually there then so what i mean by that is Absolutely. I think we need to be honest about who benefits most from these trips. And I think a big piece of that is that starts in our fundraising, uh, that we, when we fundraise, it's not help us buy supplies for this house we're going to build. It's help fund our trip. Uh, and mostly when you're fundraising in congregations, people know you. And so they're going to want to be part of that anyway. Um, I think, too, with fundraising, again, like you can fundraise in a way that also provides extra so that you can build into your budget money to either bless a host missionary with or to fund some needs of theirs that aren't about anything that you're doing while you're there, um, but then enable the ministry to continue after you after you come home, essentially. But I think another element is to recognize that short-term mission trips can have long-term impact, but that that's a long process. So it's not just then about preparation, and it's not just then about your time on the ground. It's also about this element of what happens after I get back? How can we continue to plug kids into service opportunities? How can we teach them what it means to advocate on behalf of the people and the issues that they've been exposed to on their mission trips. What is What do those experiences mean for long-term things like vocation and understanding what God is calling them to do both now, but also in the future in terms of career? Um, and when you start processing towards that, 
and you start doing debriefing and you start building your trip so that it's already connecting with what your congregation is doing, then you see those elements that, okay, maybe the trip itself was still about us, but once we come back, we've started to see some ways in which our kids have really had an impact on these issues. Maybe it's in our community. Maybe it's because they've continued to do something for people that you met on the trip. Uh, we had one student who, once we came back from a mission trip that involved uh, an experience in a refugee camp, she was so passionate about that that she came back and she raised $3,000 to be able to send back to the camp so that the refugees there could use it to buy solar lights because they had identified that as the way to reduce crime uh, because crime was happening at night when the lights had gone out. And so that was a way that she genuinely made a difference for that community. But it didn't just happen in the two weeks that we were there. It happened in the year plus after we got back. So it seems to me that like a lot of this, what it's really based around is this kind of holistic understanding of your ministry and who you're working with and aligning all of those things. So instead of saying like our short-term missions are the thing we do in the summer and that's just like a, a silo unto itself, which we figure out at some point and our youth ministry is separated from like the, the ministry and the rest of our church that like all of those things can be placed in alignment and that actually helps to create a better kind of long-term holistic project. Is that basically what I'm hearing? Absolutely. And I would say then it becomes not just a long-term project, but a long-term way of life. Yeah. Uh, and once it's actually a way of life, once it's a practice, a habit, whatever you want to call it, again, like that, I think, is when real transformation starts to happen, certainly for the person who went and who is doing the service or whatever it is. Um, but again, also for communities at that point. You've talked a lot about partnerships. Um, mm-hmm. For someone who hasn't, who's getting started on this, or maybe they're new to youth ministry, how do you start looking for partnerships or looking for places to partner with? Or I mean, do you start with organizations that are U.S. based, or do you start by looking for, you know, a group overseas that you can kind of align yourself with? Yeah, so I think um, there's lots of different ways that you can start. So one of the ways is, in fact, with the host organization. And I think it involves carefully screening them. So things like, do you return to the same community over and over again? Or are you an organization that goes in for a week, places 400 kids there, and then moves on to a new community the next week? Um, Because if they're returning to the same community over and over again, that organization is cultivating some sort of partnership on the ground that hopefully then you can join in and be a part of. Um, I think there's also a way to do it where if you're intentional about connecting with your congregation's kind of DNA, with the heartbeat of who your congregation is, in all likelihood then your congregation has a network of local organizations that you're working with. Whether your issue is homelessness or it's education or it's immigration, or like my congregation, it's refugees. So for us, when we decided we really wanted to cultivate a partnership, we went and we called the organizations that we were already working with in our own community that were doing refugee ministry and said, hey, we have this crazy idea. We want to put kids 
in a refugee camp somewhere else. Who do you know that we can contact that can help us do that? Uh, and so, you know, one phone call led to 20 others that eventually led us to make a connection um, that was a really amazing fit for our congregation. And we had that same sort of like, here's our list of questions that we're going to go through um, to screen that organization and the couple um, to find out what is it that you're really doing and how can we be a part of it and does it align. Um, and some of that too might be, I think for some youth workers, there's this idea that, you know, the type of mission trip that I grew up doing was a construction mission <laughs> trip in my case, right? Yeah. And so when I got to my first job in youth ministry, that was the only kind of mission trip I knew how to do was construction. And so like that to me was, this is what a mission trip looks like. Uh, and so I think part of it is also this idea of finding an actual partnership might mean moving outside of your own comfort zone to a totally different paradigm of what a trip looks like. Uh, and in our case, you know, it meant moving from a construction oriented trip to a more service learning trip where the trip itself was about going to be learners and to hear about all these different issues and to meet people and learn their stories, uh, knowing that those sort of conversations and that relationships themselves are transformational, um, and then figuring out ways to plug those things that we had learned into actual long-term actionable steps once we got back home. Hmm. I mean, that all sounds really wonderful, and I think we're going to start to wrap up now. Um, and as we do, one of the things I always like to ask, and uh, we've, we've gone through so much uh, material and so many kind of ideas, but one of the things I always like to ask is what is a story from a time when you were early on in ministry when you did all these things wrong? Um, because everybody kind of has to learn that lesson as they're working through ministry. It's a little bit of experimentation, and there are things that you're going to mess up. So what's the story of an early time in ministry when maybe these things didn't go as well as you thought they would? <laughs> so my very first mission trip that I ever took kids in my own ministry on, um, it was the kind of trip where I did everything that you shouldn't do. So I chose an organization that I did no screening on, um, and it was an organization that just sort of plopped down randomly into these communities. Uh, they openly objectified the people that they were serving. So here I land on a site my very first day, and a photographer shows up to take pictures so that we had the before and the after shots. Um, it was also an instance where I had a whole mess of things going on with my adult leaders because I was 22 and I didn't know what I was doing, so I didn't know how to screen people. Uh, and I didn't know how to find the right team for what we were doing. Uh, it was also a trip where we had an instance where there was the host organization actually hosted a variety show. And so uh, there were all these like really meaningful things. Kids got up there and did, you know, worship songs or mimes or um, liturgical dance, like all these God oriented things. Uh, and the, kids from my church got up there and they eat they ate peanut butter out of each other's armpits uh and afterwards there was this this moment uh where one of my adult leaders had been like what the heck we expect more of you uh and just sort of laid into this group about like the focus of this trip is god it's not about like this crazy stuff that you're trying to do 
well, you know, I mean, I shouldn't have let that conversation go on the way it did to begin with. But then to make matters worse, this was a trip where every kid on the trip had a cell phone. So as soon as this adult leader had laid on into them, they were all calling <laughs> home because they were so upset. Uh, so then I had all these parents who were really angry, who called the senior pastor, who was really angry. Um, and by the time we got home, we had actually resolved the conflict amongst our team. But of course, that phone call never actually happened. So there were all these parents who still thought everyone was still mad and that we hadn't worked through it and that we hadn't dealt and reconciled and all of this. So, I mean, it was just a screw up from start to finish um, in every aspect of that trip. See everyone else out there, like, it can't go that badly for you. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I genuinely, like, I love those stories because I do feel like so often people when they're talking about ministry or when they're talking about their own experiences in ministry, like they focus on like the things that they've learned, which is great. But like, you never talk about like, Oh, and when I was 22, everything I did was very dumb and it did not work at all. (laughs) So I, nothing (laughs) I'm very appreciative of you sharing that. Um, and then last thing before we go, um, you've already mentioned, uh, when helping hurts, and you should also check out uh, Jen's upcoming book, A Mission That Matters, How to Do Short-Term Missions Without Long-Term Harm at YouthMinistryPartners.com. Um, but what other like book or, um, or any other kind of resource would you recommend to people who have been listening to this episode? Yeah, so this is totally not about missions, and it's also not a youth ministry-specific book. Even better. Uh, but one of the best books I've read in probably the last six months was actually called Liturgy of the Ordinary, Sacred Practices in Everyday Life. Um, and it's by Tish Harrison Warren. Uh, and what I loved about this book is it's somewhere between memoir, but also like Christian living. Uh, and so Tish writes in just a really relatable way but she takes this idea of what are the things that you are doing every single day and how can you use those things to encounter God? Um, And for me, it's a book that I inched through because I savored every single chapter uh, and I would finish a chapter and just be thinking about it uh, the next day. So for example, she has a chapter in there on like how brushing your teeth can connect you with the idea of God as creator and caring for your body. Uh, And that has been something that has stuck for me. You know, I brush my teeth now and I think of it as this sacred moment when it is a gratefulness and a thank you to God for the body that you've given me and entrusted me. Um, And so, you know, there's 12 or 13 chapters in the book, all of which do that same sort of thing. So for me, that has been a huge book this year. So that's Liturgy for the Ordinary by Tish Harrison. Liturgy of the Ordinary by Tish Harrison Warren. That's fantastic. Uh, Everybody who has been with us, thank you for listening. Jen, thank you for being with us. You can find more of Jen's work at her blog, which is ymjen.com. And then your Twitter is, is it at ymjen? Yep, you got it. Okay, and that's at ymjen. You can find her books on youthministrypartners.com. That's a mission that matters and unleashing the hidden potential of your student leaders. Also, before you leave the internet today, uh, go ahead and rate and review us on iTunes. Um, go to youthministrypartners.com. Give us a 
shout out on Facebook at Youth Ministry Partners, all the other things on the internet. Uh, Thank you guys so much for listening to us. Jen, thank you for being here and have a great day. Thank you for joining us for the Youth Ministry Partners podcast. Remember to check out the YMP store at youthministrypartners.com and get in on the conversation at Facebook and on Twitter at YM Partners. Youth Ministry Partners. Listen, learn, and lead. Listen, learn, and lead.